1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
0: whether you're a brand large business small business or an individual you need customers and the chances are some of your potential customers are probably listening to this
2: podcast right now from history when
0: Napoleon laid boulogne for a year politics if that person is poor it's a bad neighbourhood then you have the disproportionate police brutality which is meted out instantly at people of colour culture
2: had they written it that Chris called an ambulance for hours straight away we wouldn't have learnt about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either well done to the writers thank you for making a wonderful podcast but I'd give Robert a miss very <laughs> <laughs> the rather The
3: flag is a graphic symbol, not a verbal symbol. Why don't we just write
2: France on the flag? I mean, we laugh when you think of putting a country's name on a flag.
0: Society or music. Young people began to turn away from their parents' ethics and their style of dress, and they began to dance to a new type of music. Royfield Brown's podcasts are downloaded Just under 100,000 times a month So putting your message here could well be worth it If you have something to sell or promote Why not email Royfield at gmail.com And hear your product or service promoted
2: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production Find others on iTunes
0: Alright, yeah, I know. No. If country
2: borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Roy Field Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show.
0: Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royfield Brown, who is 37.8 minutes north and 122.3 minutes west, which puts me back in my beloved Oakland, California. And with me is Claire Asprey. Now, Claire, uh, you're going to shock and surprise me by saying, You're not in East Bedfordshire.
2: I am in Bedfordshire, 52.1 degrees north and 0.5 degrees east as usual. You are international traveller type. I am very much the uh, stable heart of the podcast.
0: You know what it occurred to me, right, because this year I've been to Sicily, Germany, Canada, America and the UK. I am the super spreader. I'm The pandemic is probably all down to me because so I've managed to do so much travel this year. But folks, Map Corner is the podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peter's is your projection, uh, you're in the right place.
2: And This month, we're talking to Gideon Defoe, who has a, written a book called An, an Atlas of Extinct Countries, uh, which is a lot of fun, uh, and all about countries that don't exist anymore on the map. Hello there.
3: Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm I'm using what three words, which I don't know. There's probably some kind of you're going to tell me that actually that's a real no-no amongst proper map aficionados. And no, we're we big fans. But, um, okay. In that case, where am I? I'm movie twice member because downside of that is you now like you can pinpoint me to the two-metre square or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um,
0: is. I'll, I'll warn you, Nick Roworth is a map obsessive. He will be knocking on your door, you know, <laughs> within the hour. This month, you have an audio postcard from Andy Gladwin. And, folks, it was such an epic that we decided uh, to cut it into two and play it over December and January. It's about his most interesting of passions the M62. Now, don't forget, we need reviews on Apple iTunes. Uh, The more reviews that we get, it helps push us up those iTunes charts, and it means we get more listeners to the podcast.
2: And uh, again, we're recording live on Zoom with our Map Corner listeners, Uh, and it's great to have uh, some of our regulars with us today. And if you want to join in the next broadcast, uh, then make sure you're on our Facebook group uh, to get the details of the uh, login for the next show. And I have finally managed to learn how to automatically invite everyone in the Facebook group to the event, which uh, I felt is a big progress this month. (laughs)
0: Folks, we record the first Saturday of the month at 6pm UK time, which is also 1pm Eastern and 10am Pacific, which is the reason why I'm the worst beware, because I didn't go to bed early enough. Uh, but first, uh, we should crack on with our interview. It's, uh, we're going to talk to man of the hour, Gideon Defoe. Claire, do you want to take up the cudgels?
2: Sure. So Gideon's written this book about extinct countries, which I really, really enjoyed. How did you come to discover the stories of countries that aren't there anymore? And what made you sort of go on the tangent to write this book? Because it's quite different from your previous work.
3: Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, it's not kind of stupid pirate fiction. I don't know how you describe my previous work, to be honest. It's one of those things where I wouldn't say kind of like, you know, I'm some extinct country sort of crazy fanboy when i was a kid i um one of the, the only thing i inherited from my dad was like a stamp album i think he'd taken out all the valuable stamps and flogged them before i got my hands on it but it had sarawak and tanut these places that kind of like as a kid you know, i didn't recognize again being like everybody else i'm a bit of a map kind of nerd um and so we had like, you know, the odd, old I've got this um for the benefit of the viewers, and this will be nothing for um people listening here, holds up, uh it's a pocket globe from I think it states from about eighteen seventies or something. We had this dying about and it's all kind of like, you know, Australia is New Holland and things like that. So because of uh growing up in the UK where obviously we've had a relatively really stable kind of um history in terms of you know I think Portugal's more stable than us but generally if you're from another bit of the world the fact that things kind of change and places come and go probably isn't quite as remarkable but uh I think growing up um it, it just sort of you know I was just kind of like oh I get that sort of dinosaurs were here and then we're gone but the idea of a country sort of being there and not being there kind of like so it's just a thing that i've always had as a bit of a thing and i've then kind of you know collected sort of the stories over the years to be brutally honest my agent was kind of shouting at me saying like are you actually going to write in a thing because you haven't done for a little while and um i kind of thought well you know if i'm sort of into Dead countries maybe it's the kind of thing that a lot of people's awkward uncle is also into I feel. So I thought that would be a book I can maybe, you know, sell as a Christmas gift. Um so yeah, so it started off with stamps, but I'm not really into stamps, um, I'm more into banknotes now. <laughs> uh, you know, like banknotes from around the world I'm quite interested in. The stamps, you know, it d- didn't kind of stick as a, a, a hobby
0: um into my adulthood. It was kind Did of you, how obsessive is your love of banknotes? Could you see yourself casing banks throughout the world? And, it's you know, got really bad,
3: yeah. Well, there is one bit of my brain fully recognizes that you know, this is again not a cool thing to be into. You know, I mean, I heard you say that you don't tend to announce sort of being into maps as like on your first date with people kind of um or flags uh but i mean banknotes have got to be even worse really um
0: yeah i don't quite know why i've been spending a lot of time on ebay do you have any banknotes of extinct countries do you have like a yugoslavian was it a dinar
3: yugoslavian dinars to burn to be honest um they're the one that you can you pick up for nothing, because when you have places with hyperinflation, it does tend to kind of like cause a lot of banknotes to be produced. I think i have got a Tanu Tuva one supposedly, but it's probably fake because they just they had a little rubber stamp that they put on Russian money. And so most of them are fakes and there's no way of telling really. I do, I want a Sarawak one, but you know, you're looking at, yeah, kind of couple of hundred quid for one in a bit of a tatty condition. And I think if I
0: start spending a couple of hundred quid on tatty banknotes, then my girlfriend will be unimpressed. <laughs> I, you've realized something that I'm more like you than I realize, because I carry around in my wallet a Soviet ruble. Mm mm-hmm. Um, a ruble coin. I have a lucky, well, it's not an extinct country, Of a, a five euro note, which I've been carrying around for f- 15 years. It's just decapitated itself twice. I had to stick it back together. And even when I go to Europe, I never even pull it out of my wallet because it's my lucky five euro note. But there is something actually about banknotes and, and currency, which tell us that we've traveled.
3: Yeah. yeah, and I, I really like the sort of, I mean, I'm kind of not, not a proper collector in as much as if you're serious about this kind of thing, then, you know, it's got to be uncirculated. It's got to be kind of, you know, mint in box type of deal. And I think it's quite nice when it's got a bit of graffiti or whatever on it from wherever the place that you've picked up. Because, yeah, it sort of, you know, tells a bit of a story of stuff. Also, it's cheaper. It's cheaper. People don't pay top dollar for that. So
0: if you're cheap like me, you can get stuff. Extinct countries, I'm utterly fascinated by them. Give us some of the more exotic examples of extinct countries, because I must admit, after doing a little bit of research on your book, sir, I thought I was a political map nerd, but I learnt stuff.
3: I I should caveat all this by saying that when I first started writing this, I kind of got into a bit of a twist about, you know, trying to do that whole... The definition of a country. Where do you kind of, you know, what's the legal basis? Blah, 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 All this stuff. And then a little way in, I suddenly realized, hang on a second. This is not the kind of book that is going to be a GCSE set text. I don't really have to worry too much about sticking to one set definition. So there will be some people who will be possibly a little bit angry, kind of like saying like, well, you can't say that this was a country. That's ridiculous. And almost certainly have a fair point. I've tended to go on with these are the stories that I have found interesting. That's my caveat up front before people start shouting at me, basically. I like the ones that are kind of like the, the mistakes and the the unfortunate overlooked. There's neutral Moorsnet is one from back at the start of the 19th century when um, Napoleon has sort of torn everything up and it's all getting kind of put back together again. Basically, you've got Prussia and the Netherlands who are trying to draw a map and stop massive wars happening. And they have this problem because there's this zinc mine. They're like, I kind of want that. It's like, yeah, I want it too. And it's like, no one can agree. And so they go, all right, fair enough. Neither of us has it. It's nobody's and we'll just put a little strip of land and doesn't belong to anybody. And this is a recurring kind of thing where the wishes of the populace absolutely don't play into this at all. Like nobody ever kind of stops and asks the people on the street, what do you think about this? It's this imposed from above stuff that happens. So yeah, you've got this little strip of land, this little kind of triangle. It's got one policeman There's the company that runs Zinc Mine, also sort of owns the shop and everything. So there's there's no real proper system of government or anything. But, you know, the people are kind of like, yeah, this is okay, actually. We're we're sort of enjoying this. We don't have conscription, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, the zinc runs out. And so there's something like, oh, we don't really have an economy anymore. So they just they try and kind of hustle and they, they build some gin distilleries because gin is Illegal across the border. The Kaiser is a bit of a, a stickler for this stuff. So they try that, and then, you know, they get in a bit of trouble when it, with the Kaiser says, like, no, I'm going to cut off your electricity supply if you build any more dunes. So I think, right, we've got to do something else. And um, actually, going back to stamps, there's a guy, Wilhelm Molly, he's a philatelist. And he goes, oh, we can issue stamps, and that will be our way of making money because people collect stamps. Again, not really enough to base your sort of country's economy on, however small you are. They finally end up deciding that they can become the world's first Esperanto-speaking state, which is very sweet, but doesn't really make much sense as a business plan. Um, again, I think they thought it'd be a tourist draw. And eventually they get swallowed up because World War One comes along, all the maps get redrawn and nobody cares about them, and they become part of Belgium, which hadn't existed when they they got going. But those are the ones I sort of have some sympathy for because it's people just sort of trying to make a decent living and get through the day sort of thing. And so many of them are really not that. They're the stories of entitled Victorian dudes sort of swanning off and setting up a country. And they're a little bit harder to be sympathetic for. So, yeah, so if I had to choose one from, from the book, which go, yeah, that's the one I like. It's kind of neutral wars next to one I sort of I was rooting for to make it. <laughs> um, obviously, none of them make it because they're all ex countries.
2: I was going to ask you how you feel about those because a few podcasts ago, we were talking to Matt Breen from the Explorers podcast. And I remember asking about whether we thought that people were sort of brave and admirable or monumentally stupid for some of the crazy adventure and explorers that happened. And I think, yeah, you've got some real entitled adventurers so I was going to ask how you feel about the entitled adventurers are they sort of exciting and daring do and, and showing a lot of enthusiasm or are they just obnoxious entitled people who just went off and said this country will be mine now
3: I mean they're both I mean they're absolutely both and it's that kind of conflicted thing of I remember in GCSE history where you know you, you're set During Italian unification, you set that kind of inevitable question of kind of like, oh, uh, Cavour and Garibaldi both played an important role in Italian unification. Um, Who was more important? I think, and you're meant to write the essay saying, like, well, if it hadn't been for Cavour's diplomacy, and if it hadn't been for Garibaldi's sort of, you know, gung ho, I'm um, going. But of course, you're actually going. It's Garibaldi. He's better. He's more exciting because he's just a a, a bad story. Given that I'm writing a book and I'm writing a book that I want to be interesting, it would be disingenuous to say that I, I didn't like it when there's like one of these ridiculous Errol Flynn types. Because yeah, it is. It's like reading Errol Finns autobiography. It's a great read. You don't come away from it thinking sort of like great behaviour, Elflin, really approve of all that. I mean, they, these are generally bastards, And but they, they, there's a scale. So, I mean, I would say D'Annunzio, the mad Italian poet who set up Fifedom in Fiume, which is a bit of, kind of became Yugoslavia, but was mainly Italian speaking and when the League of Nations etc were redrawing everything and it, it wasn't given to Italy. He was outraged in a kind of patriotic fervour, went and got his little piratical rabble gang of thugs to go and take this place over and tried to sort of gift it to Italy. Again, you know, he is kind of interesting. I mean, he keeps a really graphic sex diary of all his exploits, you know, there's just masses of it and it's very graphic. There is something about his haphazardness that it's funny. But at the same time, you know, the guy is basically a proto-fascist and sort of invents fascism, really. Now, I think the world would have been a better place without the likes of Gabriel D'Annunzio. There's a guy called Theodore von Neuhoff, who briefly became king of Corsica as an independent nation. And yeah, um, a real champion. And Yeah, I mean, he, he's the one who basically left the army with a load of gambling debts, did a runner across Europe. He married one of the Queen of Spain's maids, who he then stole all her jewellery, did another runner, invested the jewellery in a really ridiculous French property bubble, went bankrupt, went and hid in South London um, in Vauxhall, and became a magico-therapist, which is someone that can predict lottery numbers. And then he had an affair with a nun, which is pretty illegal he gets up to a lot of stuff and he he meets these Corsican rebels who are trying to get self-determination from the Genoese who are the Genoese are not good at this point they are a fairly nasty imperial force in the same way that we were and somehow convinces them yeah and I'd be a great person to lead your cause and you know has a measure of success and let's say briefly drives back the Genoese becomes king of Corsica Then kind of, you know, through various bits of infighting, ends up kind of being deposed. He tries to raise some more money. It gets seen by one of the many people he owes cash to in a pub in Amsterdam, gets locked up, ends up in a jail in uh, Soho, which he manages to get rebuilt because he writes so many letters complaining about the state of the jail he's in. He's a fascinating, weird figure, and he's kind of probably on the scale of like, yeah, you're one of the... Slightly likeable bastards, I suppose. Um, uh, but you know, no, generally, I don't really approve of the. I kind of apologize at the start of the book for the fact that it is a very kind of story about white upper class blokes. They are the ones in the 19th century who thought, yeah, it's fine for me to go and set up a country. And a lot of the dead
0: countries are dead because they shouldn't have existed in the first place. Are there any countries, you know, the small exotic ones, the ones which, you know, your average person will never have heard of, uh, which have a chance of of maybe coming back? You paint a very evocative picture of of charters and adventurers. And I must admit, I love the story. I can can never remember his name of the, the French guy, the French lawyer who in the 1860s goes off to uh, South America and becomes the king of this region of in Chile for a couple of years. And he's certifiably mm-hmm. nuts. But I do go, you know what, crumbs, what what a time and what a place to be where you can just say, I'm going to be the king of wherever. So there's a certain amount of romanticism, but but you're completely right. There's delusion and there is fascism and there is subjugation of people that happen to be there at that time. But there's a certain Phileas fog romantic notion about these people doing this but are there any um extinct countries where there is actually a movement uh, there is you know a groundswell of people on the ground saying let's get back our sovereignty we were a thing once we should be a thing again
3: there's a place called scotland you might have been uh, uh, be aware of um <laughs> who, you know that's that's a fairly hot topic um, it, okay. well, um, <laughs> um but yes no i mean there's There were things like Ruthenia, which lasted literally for about fifteen minutes. In as much as uh, it had been part of Bohemia Moravia, it swapped in the space of twenty four hours. It it was ruled by three different powers because they had their kind of like twelve hour period of being their own independent nation. Uh, I say, they managed to get a, a flag and a. Anthem going despite, in, you know, only in 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. No, literally, it was about a day. Uh, but uh, how much and, thought sort of gone into that anthem, do you reckon? Uh, well, I, I, I suspect someone had it a bit prepared, um, you know, in a <laughs> uh, sort of here's one we made earlier. There's been a kind of relatively recent sort of Ruthenian sort of movement, but it's whether it's a, a legitimate thing or whether it's basically Putin just trying to destabilize that bit of Ukraine kind yeah. of. One of the things that, again, I found from writing this was, that, yeah, I was expecting lots of, you know, little groups of people who were kind of like, we feel this strong tribal identity and we want to and that. There's just not very much of that. It's like most people just want to get on with their lives and they don't, really care on a fundamental level, the size and shape of the institution that is running them, um, but they are quite easily both manipulated and also things are imposed upon them. So is the Ruthenian independence movement legit or not? I suspect if you, outside of the tiny little hardcore bubble, ask the actual people there, they wouldn't really care. I do feel that all nation states are slightly ridiculous on some fundamental level so anybody that takes them really super seriously I'm a bit sus of I think Yes.
2: A country is just a story we tell ourselves
3: Yeah I do think they kind of they wobble back and forth and they will always wobble back and forth and it's a a thing that a lot of the world is much more used to in a way that like I said we uh, in the UK at least kind of probably aren't because we have had a you know relatively stable um compared with most of the globe uh yeah our map hasn't changed a great deal and
2: if you could go and visit any of these countries in their heyday which would you pick
3: there's a little bit just want to say the, the boring thing of uh east germany simply because my cousins when I was a kid, got to go and visit East Germany, I was really jealous at the, the time. I'm still quite annoyed by it. So on a personal level, just to rectify that wrong, I would like to visit <laughs> East Germany. Um, I mean,
0: Let me tell you, sir, right, because I went to Berlin just this year. I'm not a great fan of museums. Right, I find them incredibly boring. Right, the only museum that I've been to recently where it blew my skirt up was the Museum of East Germany. Go mm-hmm. to Berlin uh, when the oh, corona is over. I've,
3: I've, I've, I mean, I've been to Berlin a couple of times, and I went to one that it was quite. I don't know if it was the the actual Checkpoint Charlie museum,
0: but it's there not Checkpoint really Charlie, it's just um, by the River Spree, right. and they've done it fantastically well you can get mm. into an old Trebant. you even go into Ooh. a living room a living room uh an east german living room and east german tvs on Excellent. um all the artifacts are there it is the best i forget how many euros i spent let's say it was 30 euros.
3: Oh, i wonder if I it's i've actually it's got, got a brilliant i i have a i have a very behind me actually a uh, big fat Taschen book um uh about east germany which is uh, based on a collection, and it is all the database. So it might be the same place, actually,
0: by in book for Until they invent time travel, that's the best yes. way of going <laughs> back into the former German Democratic Republic. We have to take a quick break, uh, and we're going to come back to you, right? Because I know for a fact that Nick Rowworth has got a couple of questions he's going to ask you because he, uh, he's like that, is our Nick. But folks, um it is that time now, but we are going to have our audio postcard. And this month it is from Andy. And here is his audio postcard.
1: Hi, I'm Andy Gladwin. My quiz prize from the last podcast was to send an audio postcard. So this is from a place that's played an important part in my life. This is my audio postcard from the M62 motorway. Without it now, the nation's finest motorway. The M62 is a motorway that runs across the north of England from Liverpool in the west at 53 degrees 41 minutes north, 2 degrees 90 minutes west, through to Hull in the east at 53 degrees 71 minutes north, 0 degrees 69 minutes west, connecting all the major urban centres and conurbations in between. To so nearest England has to a coast-to-coast motorway, the inspiration for Continuous Link came in the 1960s from the US interstate highway system. The motorway is the country's highest motorway and also its lowest. It runs from what were, runs through what were once the industrial heartlands of the north of England. The ports at either end runs through what were once the coal fields and textile areas of uh, Lancashire and Yorkshire. So this is rugby league country, this is brass band country. And although the old industries have mainly all gone now, it's still the main east-west link. And on this audio postcard I'll take on a road trip across the north. So starting in the west, there are no junctions 1, 2 or 3 and no officially numbered junction 4. The motorway starts on the outskirts of Liverpool at what is known as the locally as the Rocket Junction. It's named after a pub which is in turn named after George Stevenson's Rocket. Then travel east past Rainhill where the Rainhill Trials took place in 1829. This was a competition run by the Liverpool Manchester Railway to find the best locomotive to run on its line. It's run by the actual rocket itself, so designed by George Stevenson who also built the railway. So before the motorway, we had the, Le- uh, the Liverpool-Manchester Railway. So it opened in 1830 when it was the world's first intercity uh, railway, the first to be ex- powered exclusively by steam, the first to be double tracks and have a signalling system. The motorway then continues east, past St Helens and on to Warrington. And just north of the motorway at Warrington is an area called Burton Wood, which is worth mentioning because it plays a a part in the cultural history of the the Northwest. So During the Second World War, Burton Wood was a U.S. Air Force depot. It's the largest airfield in Europe at the time, and uh, home to 18,000 U.S. servicemen, and continued to be used by the U.S. Air Force and Army as a depot until the 1990s and the end of the Cold War. There's nothing to see there now. The last of the hangars were demolished about 10 years ago but along with liverpool it's one of the entry points into the uh, country for during the 1950s and 60s for rock and roll r b and soul records so this influenced a generation of musicians in the northwest and played a part in the emergence and growth of uh, the northern soul scene in the north of england so hugely important to um to, to big sort of, musical centers to the east of warrington you find Junction 10, the Croft Interchange, this is where the M6 crosses the M62. So you can go north to the Lake District in Scotland, which is great, or south to Birmingham, which to be honest is best avoided. The motorway then travels on to Manchester. So between Junction 12, the Worsley Interchange, and Junction 18, Simister Island, the M62 actually morphs into the M60, which forms the northern stretch of Manchester's orbital motorway. And much like the M25 that rings London, it's notorious for its traffic jams. From here it's up and over the Pennines. For the listeners who aren't familiar with the geography of England, these are known as the backbone of England. It's a chain of hills that runs from Derbyshire in the south up to the Scottish borders in the north. So Italy has its Pennines, and the north of England has the Pennines. So these are hills, valleys, it's open moorland, it's peat bogs, it's wet and windy. So this is difficult terrain to build a motorway through, and there's some real feats of engineering involved to get the motorway completed. It took over five years to build around 10 miles of motorway across the, uh, across the top part of the Pennines. So I live at Junction 22, so that's uh, uh, Saddleworth, so that's 53 degrees north, sorry, 53 degrees, 63 minutes north, 2 degrees, 3 minutes west. This is the highest point in the motorway, and it's also the highest motorway in Britain. And just east of the Junction 22 is probably the best-known site on the motorway. It's where the carriageway splits, and in the middle is Stothall Farm. So this is a working farm, saved not because the farmer refused to move as is, is sort of commonly held, but because geologically the land to the north and south was more stable, so the engineers routed the carriage carriageway around the farm. So it features in a, a song by the comedian John Shuttleworth where he references the farm. So the song's The Man Who Lived on the M62. And so find that on YouTube. I recommend you check that out. So I hope you enjoyed that whistle-stop tour through the north of England. And as I say, if you are in the... Uh, this part of the country, do come check out the motorway. You won't regret it.
2: Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping.
3: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're a cheeky one, you, aren't you? Anti-Birmingham sentiment. That's not going Mr. Gladwin we're going to be a black ball in your membership of, of, of the next podcast I, I don't know how that escaped my my uh, editor's scalpel when I was <laughs> but fair play for putting it in um, God's own city God's own country is my hometown of Birmingham what we will do though is we will give you part de part 2 of that next month because andy didn't have to do an epic a majestic sweep of the uk's only coast to coast motorway uh, the ribbon of tarmac known as the m62 will will finish in january we'll have part 2 of that Back to you, Gideon. You were suitably aghast at that slur about my home. I was, weren't you? I was, yes. It's like, um, I was trying to think of a good segue back from like
3: motorways to dead countries. uh, But kind of like, all I could think of was the um, Darien scheme and Scotland's attempt to start its own little kind of colony, which obviously bankrupted Scotland and kind of led pretty directly to the act of union. But that's kind of like there's a a road that you can drive. I think it goes from uh, Alaska down to the tip of South America and you can drive all the way across, apart from Darien, the little kind of isthmus um, bit, which is just such a horrible, boggy nightmare of a place. It's so swampy and everything that you just, they haven't been able to build the road properly in that bit. So if you're choosing a a bad place to start a country, then that is the one because, yeah, don't go for the bit that even with all of nowadays um, technology, let alone the technology of a few hundred years back. uh, Yeah, just anyway. Yeah, that was my attempt at a clever segue.
2: Very good. Is it time to open up to questions from the the floor?
0: It is. So floor, if you have any questions, uh, Andy Gladwin, you are not allowed to ask a question. Uh, You can hang your head in shame, sir. Maybe can ask one. Nick Roworth, <laughs> Ken McDonald, Jay Zeb, Zab, uh, who just joined us, Jennifer Prather, um, feel free to pile in and ask uh, Gideon about extinct countries. Uh, whilst you're warming up your noggins, though, warming up your brains, I can see Ken has put a very quizzical finger uh, to his mouth, going, hmm, what should I ask him? I like the hat, by the way, Ken. You're very Sherlock Holmes of you. Very Sherlock Holmes. One one of the things which I've been utterly fascinated by, and I will hold my hands up to this, and this is more political than um whimsical, is Kanzuk. Do you do you know about this uh, movement, kid? Uh, uh, for the white uh the white ex uh, members of the Commonwealth to have. Well, more economic and free movement of travel. So we're not talking about the resurrection of the British Empire, but it's one of the things which has kind of come out of Brexit. But interestingly, the Canadian Conservative Party and the Australian Liberal Party, which is in effect their Conservative Party, Mm. are big proponents for this. So we, we could see some kind of remnants of the British Empire. We're not talking about a unified country or anything like that, but come back onto the map.
3: Yeah, I mean I kind of I deliberately didn't sort of again when I was writing my rules at the start of how to define a country, I then which like I say are completely inconsistent and I ignore my own rules quite a lot. But one of the things I thought, right, I'm not gonna do any um all the various empire work, because a lot of people that are into dead countries, et cetera, uh, are also into stamps. And so there's already quite a lot written about places that used to issue stamps and everything, which to have that level of kind of political stability, it's actually quite often tended to be because it was part of an empire, I think. And whether you could decide, like a colony, is that really its own country? Is it just a, it was too granary, so I kind of deliberately steered clear of all the kind of... Former Commonwealth stuff. I like it for the banknote side of things because, again, you get some some interesting old places that uh, had had banknotes that aren't there anymore, kind of name wise. So yeah. Anyway, my my knowledge of is extremely low as a result so i i hadn't even heard of that story i've got to be honest i'm not surprised that there's you know someone trying to kind of hark back to the the commonwealth glory days because it's a it's a thing that a lot of people have a
0: possibly slightly
3: false nostalgia for so
0: yeah for me as i said the fascinating thing was that this is the right of centre politicians in, so the leader of the Canadian Conservative Party wants it to happen. And he's very clear that he says it's going to be free movement of travel and residency and some loose kind of like trade trading ties and he says that culturally uh, we have so much in common with australia new zealand and the united kingdom why don't we do this and as somebody who was very anti-brexit i don't know where you sit with that nick rowworth and whatever i was very anti-brexit i see it as better something than nothing because i quite like travel i think you know the world is a better place when we go and travel and and trade with each other and stuff so um is it a suitable replacement for the european union absolutely not if it's better than nothing and whatever and i think the more countries that banded together the better but it, it does feel whimsical uh, in in a way of, of, of your book sir you know
3: well i think it, it shows a sort of again it is that the, the slight nonsense of it all where people don't necessarily have these sort of fundamental feelings about free movement There's a sense of, oh, well, I don't like the wrong kind of free movement, which tends to have, you know, slightly dodgy undertones. But if it can be tied up with, yes, this idea of um, glorious empire and Spitfires and that sort of thing, then it somehow becomes a good type of free movement. And it's sort of like, it's those sort of internal contradictions that, which is why there's so little logic to any of.
0: Um, oh, no, there, there, there is a very obvious logic to it, and and I think that and the question is: it's do you feel culturally akin to these people? If you do, they're emigres not immigrants. Yes, uh, that that's the thing, and there's a reason why. And I say this rap come wrapped up in black skin. It's uh, the very clear. It's the ex-white colonies who, who are going to be part of this club, uh, of which the the rationale is: Well, it's GDP, isn't it? You know all we have all similar GDP but they don't the brown people and, and, and the black people are, are yeah. sampling across their borders but anyway maybe that's a subject for another podcast guys do we have a question uh, be, before before we move on Ken McDonald Ken. I haven't read your book of course so I, I do you address the uh the Native American? nation. So You know, there are some that were rather organised, like the Cherokee Nation or the Iroquois Confederacy.
3: The the only one I've sort of really kind of um uh, covered is uh the um again unfortunately from the 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 point of view of a you know um uh, white dude coming in and um doing it, it's just the state of Muscogee, which I don't know if you know about. Which is the Creek people wear clearly Um, this guy who I mean, this is obviously before um, you've got a bit down where Florida creeps into things, so all around, around that area, where Paul Bowles is, who, you know, he's actually kind of like in the army, fighting on the side of the British uh, against Spanish and uh, nascent America. And anyway, he runs off, deserts the army, and gets a Creek wife, which is quite a common thing. People went off, found themselves a Native American family, but he decided, right, I'm going to lead these people to a glorious bit of self-determination and then completely messed it up and ends up getting tricked by the Spanish. He does a kind of glad handling tour of, uh, goes to the UK, asks to, to have some cash to set up this nation. I mean, th- these things are always sort of done with the idea of like, oh, if if you help me out with this, then, you know, it will piss off the French or whatever. That's always how you get the French or the British on board your project is you just say kind of like, oh, it will piss the other guys off. So he goes out there has a meeting with the, the Spanish who are in charge of the region at that point. Um, and they say, like, oh, this is, you know, okay, independent nation, yeah, no, maybe we'd be into in this. But, like, you just need to go and have a meeting with a slightly higher-up person. Just, um I don't know, so off he goes and gets clapped in irons, shipped off halfway around the world. No, you're, you're a troublemaker, we don't want anything to do with you. Manages to escape, comes back to... Uh, I mean, this is basically where, I think it's like near Tampa. He then kind of gets slightly sold out again uh, by his own people. And Andrew Jackson turns up and does some cultural genocide and it all goes badly. Um, kind of, again, because it's a book about, you know, this is very much a kind of white guy coming in and imposing his idea on... The Native Americans in a way that because the concepts of a, a nation state to the Native American groups, it wasn't a thing that kind of translated. It's, it's not an area that I kind of go into a lot in it. Again, a lot of the indigenous peoples in these places, they're not interested in drawing these borders in the same way that, you know, our kind of sensibility then developed It's a slightly muddled answer to a quite straightforward question.
2: But you've touched on something there, Gideon, that, that really struck me. And then at a time when it yeah you know, wasn't that easy to travel. Obviously there was travel, but it wasn't like you could just easily get on a plane. There are people mm. who involved in these stories from the kind of you know 19th century and before even, who went all over and, like, you know, zipped back between us, America and France or places in Europe. And you just think it's quite – there's quite a lot involved in all that, you know, yeah. and, and I think it really surprised me, the extent to myself, was it. So was it William Watson who went to and fro from Europe and South America several times and tried to set up more than one – had more than one go at setting up a nation that he could be king of and just sort of kept going back and then coming again and trying again somewhere else. And you okay. think – that's a lot of miles to get under your belt in the kind of you know, middle of the nineteenth century or whatever.
3: It's a weird, surprising thing, but again, I guess there's always going to be slightly different rules for the well-to-do. I guess it is that thing of if you, I think you're there about William Walker, multiple attempts at setting up countries um, in sort of you know California and Honduras and. And I think he'd started off in France. He went and got educated. So, I mean, it was a thing, you know, you did, you know, uh, it was a bit of, it's that grand tour stuff, isn't it? It's sort of what you do as a posh young guy in those days. You go and see the world and get your education in Paris or
2: whatever. Go and the country somewhere.
3: Go and the country, yeah. Um.
0: <laughs> be- be- before we completely move on and-, and do the quiz, Yogi Zabo, who has joined us, uh, put a little message on Facebook. Is uh, actually watching along. Yogi is, um, you, you can actually uh, unmute yourself, uh, Yogi, because I'm speaking on, on your behalf here. Hello uh, to Zoom from Toronto. Uh, free movement pass sounds good on paper, also because I love to travel. Never heard of this plan before. Kanzuk is what I'm referring to. Personally, I hate all hard borders. Our Conservatives, who are not in power, yes, uh, they're the opposition party, but the new leader was just elected, are currently called the PC or Progressive Conservatives. There is one lovely and I think poignant echo of some indigenous extinct countries. I was watching a new MP from the Green Party in New Zealand actually give their maiden speech. And she was from Iranian descent. So she wasn't white and she wasn't Maori. And they gave the first three lines in Maori and 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 that honor of the, the the previous nation uh which is extinct still lives on in, in in that tradition i was also also really struck talking about canada and uh, where yaki's from at my, my my son's school at the start of his graduation ceremony they intone, and I'm going to try and do it, but it's something like, so we give thanks for the peoples that once inhabited this land, uh, who, who nurtured its resources. And it and it starts like that, and it goes on for about three or four minutes. And then they say, welcome to Nelson High School, et cetera, et cetera. And the first time you hear that, it's incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And, and it kind of touches you. To realize that on every society is built another, is built another, and just to give uh, that recognition to them. So there you go, folks. Uh, we're starting to slowly but surely descent from the summit that is at uh, the middle of the show. Uh, so it's time for uh, the map corner quiz. So here we are, folks. Uh, questions as devised by our wonderful Claire Asprey and read out badly by me. Question number one what is the term for the study of place names claire i can't even get my teeth around these so why don't you hit me hit me with the answers with a b or c
2: okay so a is geoentomology. b is toponymy and c is eponymy
0: There you go. So again, what is the term for the study of place names? Uh, Question number two, what is the oldest country? What is the oldest country in the world? Is it A, Egypt, B, Japan, C, Ethiopia? Question number three, which of these is the newest country? A, Montenegro, B, Palau or C, the South Sudan? Question number four, how many modern countries cover the area of The ancient country of Mesopotamia. Is it A, 2, B, 3 or C, 4? Number five, which of these countries is named after a woman? A, the Seychelles, B, St. Lucia, C, Australia. Question number six, how long did it take for Yugoslavia to adopt a national anthem? A, five years, B, 20 years or C, 40 years? And I've been to three constituent republics of uh, the former Yugoslavia. And I tell you, the Bosnians, they're quite up for resurrecting a bit of Yugoslavia. But anyway, more on that maybe in another podcast. Question number seven Which short lived country adopted Esperanto as its national language? Now, if you've been paying attention in this podcast, you'll get the answer for this. Was it the Republic of
2: I don't know, Gideon, I won't say Cospea, but... Cospea,
0: Cospea. Cospea, all right. Uh, B, Dahomey, which is now Benin, isn't it, in in West Africa? Or C, Neutral Monsignor? So which of those uh, countries... Former countries briefly adopted Esperanto as its national language. If you've been paying attention, you will know the answer. Uh, question number eight: Which extinct country's flag is this? This doesn't really work on a podcast. On the audio oh, do
2: you want to describe the flag?
0: Yes. Why don't you go, go for it, Claire? You, you
2: All right. The so it's a sort of vertically looking flag with a sort of sort of a pageantry feel about it. It's got three, two, well, two different sort of tricolor edges at the top it's got a snake eating its own tail in the middle and a whole bunch of stars which looks like the plough constellation and then a little sort of wraparound kind of ribbon with some um with a kind of motto on it which i can't read uh on this version and it's red with um various colors in the triple you know what I'm going to say here, because I, I, I did actually
0: know this. It was an educated guess, which I, I was correct, right? It's the type of whimsical flag that a crazy poet might create. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh, a, was it the golden state of Scylla? B, the free state of Fiume? C, the kingdom of Sarawak? Right, so I'm giving you a massive clue here. If you imagine yourself to be an early 20th century poet, a nationalist and maybe you've had uh, one of your ribs removed so you could self-pleasure yourself Orally, which is what he was famous for for doing, hence um, designed such a crazy looking flag. So there's a massive clue for you. On the flags again, which extinct country's flag is this? Now, um, we are looking at uh, fundamentally um, a red flag, which gives you some level of of a hint. But in the middle, we have uh, some kind of a crest. And then within the crest, we have a person on a horse. They look like maybe they're on a horse riding on the step of uh, the middle of Asia. There's a big clue for you. All right. So think mm, steps of Asia, big red flag. Right. So potential answers are the state of Muscogee, the Republic of Gost, is that pronounced? Ust. Ust. Yep. And or the People's Republic of Tana Tivu. Mm, I've given you as much of a clue as I can there, folks. Think of the steps, this person on a horse, and then the very last question: Which extinct country's flag is this? The flag looks very much like the flag of Austria. So, if you imagine the flag of Austria, so imagine three horizontal stripes: red at the top, red at the bottom, white stripe in the middle. But in the middle, you have a couple of red stars. It's quite a pretty looking flag. Quite.
2: Like yeah, I was thinking this is one that uh, Ted would have approved of.
0: Absolutely, this is a nice looking flag, right? Is it the Republic of Sonora? Is it the Republic of Perlogia? Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Yep. Or the Great Republic of Rough and Ready? All right, that's the type of republic I'm going to get behind, Rough and Ready. It's definitely <laughs> the way I've a- approached the podcast this morning. Very Rough and Ready me today. Uh, so there are our uh, questions for the quiz. Uh, Claire, why don't you tell us all about the social media goings on? in the last month on our sure. facebook page
2: been a good time in the facebook page again this month um we have some really interesting uh, maps actually not so much when we recorded our last podcast it was just around the time of the announcement literally around the time of the announcement of the outcome of the american elections we were quite light on election mapping i think everyone was so much on hooks, and so maybe we haven't seen so much of that but we've had some really interesting uh, uh maps around it was all about thanksgiving what what do americans eat at thanksgiving what's their what favorite side dishes and i have to say i don't know where the data came from because i pretty much every american who commented on that map told us how it didn't make any sense at all and they didn't agree so that was uh fun and we've had a a lot of uh, traffic on the the map that was posted around the second most commonly spoken language in different countries of Europe uh, and again quite a lot of disagreement about what people thought about that uh, and what the motivations for for the map were and again I think with all these things uh, this is one of the things I really love about the when we're sharing maps online sometimes you've got to think about where that information has come from, who's sharing it and for what reason. It's, uh, it's interesting to see how those things play through and the extent to which English is a second language for a number of countries. And, and someone did post how it was nice that Polish was the second language uh, in in the UK, whereas English was the second language in Poland. And there was a kind of nice transference there. The other one that had a lot of traffic was uh, looking at the citizenship basis. So places which grant citizenship on the basis of birth and other places which don't. So there's a lot of conversation about that, of which more maybe a little bit later. And then we had some really great maps shared on the Twitter, the hashtag Map Corner. So some really good stuff around the kind of socioeconomic impacts on of COVID that came from at Yoyo Moreno, which is a Twittering intellectual, uh, showing how different sort of patterns, particularly around racism and, and, the, and the spread of the virus, which I think we're all becoming very familiar with. But there was some good mapping for there. And then another fun one, which was around someone who, just for the fun of it, had given all of the names of the stations in the Tyne and Weir metro system a German name, which may or may not relate to the actual name, but it, was, it just seemed like a lot of fun. And it was an interesting way for someone to have spent their leisure time. But, uh, but you know, I know that we've got quite a lot of transit map fans across the map corner community and and i I love a transit map myself so it's that's that's a lot of fun so yeah it's great um we've got you know people are still active on the group we've got well over 300 members in the facebook group now and it's nice to see that growing every single month
0: oh claire um so we've had social media roundup do we have a map fact of the month
2: Yes. And we have our map fact courtesy of Andrew Chambers, who commented on the map on the Facebook group about where people get their citizenship from. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how Germans in particular, but I'm sure it applied elsewhere, who were accidentally born in America, um, became citizens of America and then got all sorts of problems because they were treated as sort of taxable in America as um Kind of overseas citizens, even if they weren't really proper Americans at all. Uh, and it caused all sorts of grief for the German banks and German people who'd end up accidentally being treated as American because their mother accidentally went into labor whilst they were on holiday there or something. So uh, it just goes to show that although it seems like a good idea that you can, um, you can be the citizen of somewhere by being born there, sometimes it has complicated, unexpected consequences.
0: So, you've probably been waiting around for the answers for the quiz, and here they are. Question number one was, what is the term for the study of place names? Uh, Claire, you you went to university, I got kicked out of university, you you is cleverer than me, why don't you read out the answer?
2: Uh, it's toponymy, although I won't, didn't learn that at university, I literally researched it in the last week when I put the quiz together.
0: Smashing. Right. Question number two, what is the oldest country? And the answer is A, Egypt, though uh, all of those countries have long, um, unbroken histories. So it could, could have been either, could have been either or either. Uh, question number three, um, what, which of these is the newest country in the world? And the answer, Claire, is South Sudan. It is South Sudan. It's not even 10 years old yet. How many modern countries cover the area of the ancient country of Mesopotamia, which means between two rivers? And the answer, Claire, is?
2: It's three. And uh, you've deleted this bit from the slide, but I think it was Syria, Turkey and Iran.
0: You are correct, right? And I must admit, I was a bit like, hmm, wouldn't Kuwait be kind of squeezed on there as well? But I've just been an anorak, really. So I'll let that one go. But anyway, uh, moving on. Question number five. Which of these countries is named after a woman? And the answer, Claire, is?
2: It's St. Lucia. It is. Lucia. And it's the, apparently the only country named after a woman in the whole world. Oh, huh.
0: did not know that. As of course, Colombia is named after Christopher Columbus. Uh, Rhodesia was Cecil Rhodes. There's another, there's another couple as well. Oh, Bolivia, Simon Bolivia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, off the top of my head. Which short-lived country adopted Esperanto as its national language? I think, uh, Gid, I think you have to answer this one because you gave us the answer in the podcast. It is neutral Moorsnet. There you go. When I did a tiny bit of research on this, the last person who was a citizen of this country is a woman and she only died in about the last five years.
3: Yeah, that sounds, uh, that would make sense, yeah, time-wise, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because it it was abolished in, what, the early 1920s, yeah. And see, Wikipedia, wonderful thing. Uh, Right, (laughs) on to flags. Uh, Which extinct country's flag is this? Now, I kind of really did give you this one. Um, It is the Free State of Fiume. It's a weird and wonderful flag. If you're a type of nutter and for things of romantic whimsy, this type of flag that you'd create. So, that is the flag of the Free State of Yume. Uh, which extinct country's flag is this? And I kind of also gave you this one as well, I think.
2: Uh, Claire? It's the People's Republic of Tanatuba. Which I must admit, Gideon, I knew it
0: on the map. But I don't, I don't know how it kind of like collapsed type
3: of thing. It, it got taken over by, I mean, it became a part of the Soviet Union um, and was uh, very much sorted up when you know. Uh, they realised that there was a lot of uranium um, in the mountains and uranium suddenly became the thing that, you know, the Soviet Union was um, interested in getting its hands on. Uh, it, it was only very brief as a kind of political entity itself. But I do really like its flag. I know that you're not meant to have a, a busy flag and stuff, but um, I think, you know, despite the fact there's a lot going on, you couldn't really draw that flag at crazy. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's good. You've got the man with the lance and the horse and the sun and stuff. It's sort of, yeah, I'm all for kind of... Jazzy flags
2: (laughs) No I agree I I quite like this one And I I like the fact That the centre of it Is a sort of flower as well Mm. um, Which you know You wouldn't normally expect
0: yeah, and I think you've got the outline of the actual country oh, there. sort of um, yeah. just got just a going lot in. going on. It's one of these flags which defies the rules of flag making and still actually manages to work. Loads of things going on. Still looks quite aesthetically pleasing. And then the very last one, which extinct country's flag is this? And the answer, Claire, is... It's the Republic of Sonora. Smashing. There you go, folks. Now, very quickly, this is the time... For, for people to bask to say you know what i know me i know me flags me extinct countries and i'm going to prove it by telling you what a wondrous score i got in the quiz right so did anybody get those all correct Nope. anybody <laughs> anybody only get one wrong, two wrong. keeping score properly two wrong okay, okay. donald well, yes, um, I, thought, I thought Ethiopia was uh,
1: was the choice for, for two because Egypt seemed too obvious. And uh, I just guessed Golden State of Scylla for eight because I like the name. I didn't get anything from the clue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Ken, you know what you win, don't you? Uh, what is it? I, I get to do the next audio postcard. You do, you do. Well, we've oh, got a boy.
2: couple in hand actually, so you've got a little while. Maybe yes. when when like lockdown eases off, you might go somewhere, or you know, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to 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 oh, pick yeah. up in a couple of months.
0: All right, you do because we still have Andy Gladwin's uh, part two of uh, his epic suite of uh, the M sixty two. However, and a, no, no, it's well, haven't we? exactly and uh, however I'm gonna stitch Andy Gladwin up because I won't have people badmouth in the the city of my birth you know <laughs> the heart of the industrial Revolution the beating heart of the United Kingdom part of the region that gave us Shakespeare in effect we can say we invented English you know that's how English Birmingham is and the West Midlands you know so I won't have this northerner come and knock my hometown but anyway yeah,
2: folks, boyfield um, do you want to Birmingham the kind of uh, the way that uh, Sean Connery was Scottish, like, you know, professionally Brummy, but don't live there.
0: <laughs> you know what? Guilty is charged. Guilty is charged. Anyway, uh, Claire, uh, do we have any other business before we fold up our maps?
2: Well, I'm just going to let you know that uh, next month uh, we're going to be recording on Saturday, the 2nd of January, and our guest will be Father Bill Miller. Uh, who's an Episcopal priest who uh, recently published an account of his travels with his dog. But we'll be talking about a spiritual journey, so it's kind of vaguely Christmassy in the sense that it's 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 got a spiritual tone about it. And, uh, we'll be thinking about kind of uh, spiritual journeys, pets on journeys, and also um, pilgrimage as a concept.
0: Fantastic. So, folks, um, you heard it here first. Uh, We have a blockbuster of a a Map Corner podcast coming for you in early 2021. By the time you've listened to this podcast, you'll say, bloody hell, that, that guy was on his metal today. I'm just telling you, listen, I have not been. I have fluffed so badly in this episode. It's been somewhat an embarrassment. Thank heavens for the editing process, is all I can say. Claire, just before we completely and utterly fold up our maps... Shouldn't we be pimping Gideon's book?
2: We definitely should Because it's a right roaring read And if you haven't bought someone a Christmas present I would go and do that now
3: uh, it's countries It is, it is it's like I say It's for your difficult uncle Who you kind of like Has maybe once said Oh, I quite like maps and stuff It's like that's, that's the target audience So Brilliant And just, just remind us uh,
0: What is the name of said book?
3: It's uh, an atlas of extinct countries, um, and uh, it is available from, uh, well, all the usual places, Uh, but uh, it is very cheap on Amazon. I shouldn't really support Amazon, but um, it is quite cheap on Amazon at the moment because of the – so, yeah, that's – but actually, no, don't do that. Get it from your local bookshop. Support your independent retailer. I I think I get more royalties in that
0: case, yeah. (laughs) There we go all right folks there you go uh definitely over now sorry for being so dreadful this month i promise next month i will not be so dreadful and uh i'll be totally beyond on on uh my metal and um if i don't see or hear of any of you beforehand have a great christmas and have a happy new year and um yes dare i say it, after 2020 there's only one way and that one way is definitely up But that's me, Royfield Brown, uh, saying uh, ta-ra a bit. We'll see you all later. And I'm going to fold up my map. What are you going to do, Claire?
2: I'm going to fold up my map as well. Thank you.